Three Strands is growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Jesus. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, visit us at threestrands.church. It's my honor to introduce our speaker today, Dan Cook, Dr. Dan, if you want to call him that, Dr. Dan. Uh, He's not a medical doctor, so if you have any heart condition, don't ask him about it after church unless it's a spiritual heart condition, all right? But um, he has been a pastor at Spotswood Baptist Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia for over 25 years now, right? That just means he's real old. And so uh, he's here with his wife, Valerie, and Valerie is not just Dan's wife, she's also Stephanie's sister. And so uh, if you want to like talk with them after church, get to know them a little bit. And some of you know um, John and Amber, who we used to support as church planning missionaries. John's actually a pastor in Nashville right now, but um, we used to support them as church planners in D.C., and Amber is Dan and Valerie's daughter, oldest daughter. And so uh, some of you know them, but you can connect with them a little bit after church, get to know them. They're very fine Virginian folks. And so uh, Dan's going to share with us um, his passion in his heart today. He's the executive pastor on staff at that church, and for over 25 years, he's been leading, organizing, training, and heading up small group ministries at their church. And uh, there's like about 1,500 people at your church. Is that right? Something like that. And how many small groups do you guys have? About 150 small groups that meet each week at their church. And so uh, he's going to come and share with us from God's word about community, the value of small groups, and uh, what God has to say about connecting with people on that level. And so if you guys will welcome him today. I can't know your Bible. (laughs) All right. It really is a blessing to be with you. This is Val and my second time to be with you. Last time, you guys were set up facing that way, so it kind of threw me off this morning when I came in, but uh, we are thrilled to be with you. It was a great joy to be with some of your leaders yesterday and spend a couple hours with them talking about small groups, which really is my passion. Uh, This is my wife, Valerie. Stand up so if they haven't met you, they can see you. There you go. I obviously married way up, and I'm glad for that. We've been married for 32 years. Uh, it's hard to believe that that young lady now has six grandchildren, six of them. Uh, we gained five of them in the last two years, I think. Uh, so it's been, a, it's been a crazy season for us. We entered the empty nest stage and are loving it and uh, really enjoy that stage. It uh, was an adjustment, but it didn't take long. Uh, so we have a, a daughter that's married to a young man. They're plugged into a church down in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, and a son who's married to a young lady who's in the Air Force. And uh, they're plugged into a church down outside of San Antonio, getting ready to move to Colorado Springs. And of course, you heard about Amber. She's our oldest. She's married to John. He's on staff at a church in Lebanon, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville. And so we're going to leave this afternoon, head on home, get to spend a little time with them, get to hug the grandkids for they have two, two little ones, and uh, then we'll fly home tomorrow. But it is a thrill and a joy to not just be here. Uh, we've been able to hear and see what God's doing here in Whitley City, McCurry County, uh, over the years here, and see how God's been blessing this church plant and how God's been working. Uh, it is exciting. It really is. Uh, it's a thrill to see how God's manifesting His presence in this town and to see this church grow and to see how God's reaching people for Christ. So my role this morning is simply to encourage you and uh, share a little bit about something we're doing at Spotswood that uh, applies to what we're talking about today. But before we go any further, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, I, I am really thrilled, Valerie and I are thrilled, not just to be here uh, with Dave and Stephanie and their kids, we love them and always enjoy spending time with family, but uh, Lord, these folks here are my family, uh, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, I think it's so cool that 
Uh, you can go anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world, and uh, be in the presence of another believer and have a connection that the world doesn't understand. Uh, we are one family in Christ, and uh, I just pray that uh, you would bless my brothers and sisters that are here, uh, Lord, that you would uh, take this time, uh, that would use it for your glory, uh, the advancement of your kingdom, and that, Lord, you would speak to hearts through your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let me just stop and say this. Thank you to the worship team. Uh, great job leading us in worship. Thank you to all the folks who set up the chairs and tables and man the tables and welcome people. Uh, I say that because I know at our church how um, not just necessary, how invaluable the, those volunteers are. Uh, they're the lifeblood of the church, and our church could not function if it weren't for those people behind the scenes who really get things done. And so if you had a part in that today, uh, I applaud you. I congratulate you. Uh, never lose sight of why you do it. It's all about him. Uh, it's all about his kingdom, and uh, it's all about being a part of what he's doing. Amen? And uh, just say to you, if you're not serving yet and you have the opportunity, plug in. Uh, there's no better way to grow as a believer than just serving, uh, getting involved in some form of ministry. If it's just welcoming people, setting up a chair, manning a table, whatever it is, you'll be shocked at how God will work in your life to grow you closer to him, and you'll come to know him better. Uh, a lot of people think, well, i got to wait until I've grown a little bit. Uh, I hear that all the time. You've got to grow to serve. I would say, no, you don't grow to serve, you serve to grow. And uh, if you want to see your spiritual life begin to grow exponentially, get involved in ministry. Find a place to plug into God's Word. Amen? Are you guys with me? You haven't fallen asleep yet, have you? Some of you have been eating donuts, so I'm a little worried about you, so bear with me, all right? Uh, normally, when I, when I preach, I normally go to a portion of Scripture, and we'll dig into that Scripture. In fact, I normally have people stand, we'll read the Scripture together, they'll sit down, and then we'll just walk through that passage of Scripture. I love doing that. I love teaching God's Word. Today's different. Uh, we just did a series, a sermon series back at our church uh, in the last few weeks called Reset. And the reason we did what we, this series called Reset is because we realized there are times, well, let me give you an example. Let me do it this way. Uh, almost everybody in here has a cell phone. Uh, this is my cell phone. On my cell, my cell phone, uh, if you hit a certain two buttons, you can reset your phone. Uh, when you reset your phone, your phone goes back, goes back to its initial settings, its, its normal condition, the factory settings, right? Uh, it, sometimes you, your phone collects a lot of junk, and it starts to work a little bit slower, get, kind of gets a little bogged down, and uh, it gets a lot of uh, errors in it, and so you hit the reset button, and you go back again to the factory settings. You just have what's essential. But we feel, felt that our church, going through the season that we've gone through, you've gone through it with us, uh, whether it's what's going on uh, politically or socially or physically with the COVID, uh, it's been a rough season. And uh, we felt it was important for us as a church at Spotswood Baptist Church to hit the, kind of hit the reset button and go back to our factory set setting, so to speak, as a church and go back to what is essential. Why do we exist? Because... Life has gotten really complicated. Uh, Valerie and I, in our marriage, uh, we went through a season recently, still kind of working through it, where we, we had a lot of junk in our relationship, and we were struggling through some things. We kind of hit the reset button in our marriage and kind of went back to the factory settings and kind of went back to what's essential. And we even got some counsel, which really helped us uh, to move forward. Sometimes you get that way in your marriage where, you know, you got to pause for a moment. There's a lot of junk in this relationship. We've kind of lost sight of why we really are, God brought us together and got to hit the reset button. Sometimes it happens as a family. Sometimes your family, you know how it is, you, you just find yourself doing so much stuff and your schedule gets full of so much junk 
And sometimes as a family, you got to hit the reset button and say, well, let's get back to our factory settings. What's really essential? Why do we exist? Sometimes it happens personally, right? Some of you may have walked in here and you know exactly what I'm talking about in your life right now. It's, it's crazy. Your life, you just feel like you're moving at half speed because it's just, you're so bogged down with so much stuff and so much junk and there's so many errors you've been listening to. It may be that God brought you here because what you need to do today is hit that reset button and be reminded about why you exist. Why did God bring you into the world? What's his purpose for your life? So at Spotswood, we did that, and we went back to our mission statement. Our mission statement's pretty simple. It just says we're a community of light that exists in a dark world. And, and we, our goal is to make disciples who love God and love others. So I, I tell you right now, a lot of churches are hearing all kinds of voices telling them why they should exist. There are people that have a social agenda for the church. Some have a political agenda for the church. Some have a personal agenda why they think the church should exist. You may be like that yourself, and you just you get, this is why our church should be, this is what our church should be doing. I remember standing just a few weeks ago in the pulpit of our church and talking to our people and saying, hey folks, can I just point you back to why we really do exist? Matthew chapter 28 and 19 and 20 is pretty clear. The church exists to make disciples. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. We're not here to have a social agenda. We're not here to have a political agenda. We're not here to have your personal agenda. We're here simply to make disciples. Let's hit the reset button. Because we've been hearing a lot of errors in our, got a lot of errors in our minds right now. We got a lot of junk floating around. Can we just hit the reset button? And I'm sure there are some people that are pretty upset by that. Some people are a little surprised by that. But that's the truth. That's why every church exists. Every church exists ultimately for one purpose. That's to make disciples. Disciples that love God and love others. That's the only way we're going to change our world. I don't know about you. I, I, I have the same feelings you have, and I look in our culture, and I wonder what in the world has happened. How can our culture go downward so quickly? How can we change it? And again, some people have social agendas, political agendas. Listen, you're not going to change this culture by who you vote for. You're, going to cha- you're not going to change this culture by whatever banner you march under. The only way you and I are going to change this culture is each of us reaching at least one person and introducing them to Jesus Christ and watching God change their heart. One disciple, making one disciple at a time. And in reality, can I just say this too? Not only is that the purpose and the reason and the mission of our church, if you're a follower of Christ, that's why you exist. The reason you are here today, the reason you got saved and God didn't just take you on to glory is because God left you here because he gave that mission clearly in Matthew chapter 28, 19, and 20. You and I are supposed to be disciple makers, missionaries, where we work, where we live, where we play. That's, that's ultimate. Listen, that's why you go to work in the morning. Yeah, you're going to make some money. You're going to support your family. That's just a side benefit of the fact you're going there to be a missionary. Why? Because the reason you're here is to be a disciple maker. Can you imagine how much simpler life would be if we just get back to our factory settings? When we get up in the morning, not be worried about all the other gook out there that's going on in the world. I'm awake today with one goal in mind. That's to see if I can share the gospel with one person, encourage one person on a journey towards Jesus. I just want to be a disciple maker. Do you realize that's why your marriage exists? 
God brought Valerie and I together to advance his cause, not our cause. To tell everybody about his story, not our story. And so often in our marriage, we get so focused on so many other things and goals and dreams, we lose sight of why God brought us together. It's so that in our relationship, people could see the gospel exemplified, modeled. That's why your family exists. If you're a mother, do you know what your most important job and your primary occupation as a mother is? To disciple those little kids. So someday... You can have the joy we had of our little five-year-old grandson who just recently trusted Jesus as his personal Savior. And that boy knows the gospel. I know that because he stands in his family room and preaches it to his little brother. But think about it. Even as sometimes as, a, as parents, we lose sight and we get all this stuff in our lives, we lose sight of what's most important. Let's, go, let's hit the reset button in our marriages and our families and in our individual lives and as a church and realize this is why we exist. To be disciple-makers. It's interesting, on our mission statement, that's just the first part of it. We exist as a community of light in a dark world to make disciples who love God and love others. And then the rest of the statement says, by this, through biblical community, missional living, and transformational teaching. In other words, in order to make disciples, these are our three core values. These are the things we rally around. We want people to hear transformational teaching. We want them to be in biblical community, and we want them to be challenge to live missionally. The reason is we believe if we do those, do those three things, we'll accomplish our goal of making disciples. There's a, a book called The Disciplines of Execution. Sean Covey was one of the guys that wrote that book. If you're a leader in any field, I'd encourage you to read. It's a great book. But in The Disciplines of Execution, Sean Covey talks about what they call input goals and output goals. And how often we just focus on the output goals. For instance, an output goal may be to lose weight or to uh, save money. And the problem is when you measure the output goal, by the time you measure it, it's too late to change it. They said what you need to measure are input goals. For instance, an input goal for saving money may be creating a budget or not going out to eat as often, packing a lunch, right? If you take care of those things, the output goal takes care of itself. Losing weight, that's the output goal, but the input goal may be uh, eating, eating more healthy, exercising. So if I do these input goals, the output goal of losing weight will take care of itself. So in a church, our output goal is to make disciples, and we've decided rather than just counting how many disciples and worried about that goal, let's worry about the input goals of getting people plugged into community and getting people under transformational teaching and getting them to live missionally and the output goal will take care of itself. So I was in front of our church recently, and I made the statement, guys, we have three core values. We have a lot of ministries in our church, but I want you to know the most important thing we do at Spotswood is getting people plugged into biblical community. The most important thing we do at Spotswood is getting people plugged into biblical community. And everybody, you can see the eyebrows raise and some concern looks in some folks' eyes. Well, well, maybe the worship ministry is the most important thing, or maybe what we do in the, in the auditorium is the most important thing, or the children's ministry is the most important. Those are all critically important and vital, but the most important thing we do is getting everybody. I'm not just talking about adults. I'm talking about even preschoolers and children and students and college age. Everybody, adults, the oldest adults, the youngest adults plugged into biblical community. 
And I want to share that with you today, what I shared with them. Because I gave them, I gave them three arguments, right? Three arguments. Three arguments why I, how I can prove to you that you being in biblical community is the most important thing for you as an individual. Three arguments to prove to you why your family, every member of your family should be involved in biblical community. Three arguments why everybody in your church needs to be, needs to be in biblical community. Because biblical community is not just important, it's vital. It's not just vital, it's critical. It's not just critical, it's essential. You need to be in biblical community. So I know I haven't convinced many of you yet, so let me try to do that. Let me give you first a theological argument. Let me start from the Bible and show you why biblical community is important. And let me just say this. When I talk about biblical community, we do biblical community at Spotswood in what we call connect groups. As was mentioned, we think connect groups are important at Spotswood enough that we have a connect group for every member of the family. We've got over 150 connect groups, three hours of them, and we have groups that meet during the week in homes. We try to find every means we can to make sure that everybody in our church gets in a group. And on a given Sunday, based on attendance, and we'll usually have anywhere... Uh, we just planted two churches locally, so we sent out about 400 people, but uh, we, we got anywhere between 1,500, 1,700 people on our campus, and of that number, over 85% of them are in a group, attending a group that week. That's how important it is. So theological argument. Our small groups, you guys call them life groups, right? Our life groups in the Bible. I mean, is there anywhere you can go in the Bible to prove that biblical community and being in groups is something that's essential and vital? Well, yeah, it is. I'm going to take you to a book of the Bible that you're all familiar with, the book of Exodus in chapter 18. It's an interesting story. It's about Moses. Most of you know who Moses was. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. Of course, it took them a while to get there. But when he led them out of, the, out of Egypt, can you imagine, pretend Moses, in a lot of ways he was, he was the pastor of this group of people. Estimates say there could have been as many as 2 million people all combined. Can you imagine pastoring a church of 2 million people? Wow. Well, the situation got pretty dire for Moses because you can imagine this was a group of people who liked to complain and grumble. Nobody seemed to be happy. Everybody had an agenda for the church, right? Moses got discouraged, not unlike a lot of pastors I meet. A lot of pastors who are, who are just frustrated with ministry and overwhelmed with ministry and who just don't know, they're discouraged. They don't know, wanna, don't know how or even if they want to take the next step. That was Moses. Picture him sitting in his office, his head in his hand, saying, how in the world am I going to do this? How am I going to minister to so many people? Thankfully, his father-in-law was a wise man. His father-in-law's name was Jethro, and he came to Moses, Exodus chapter 18. You can read it. It's an interesting story. He said, Moses, I've got some advice for you. I'm glad Moses listened to him. You could say that Jethro was the first small groups pastor ever, certainly in the Bible. Because if you read the scripture, Moses' father-in-law said this. He said, first of all, first of all he says, what you're doing is not good. <laughs> Moses, what you're doing is stupid. This is not good, Moses. Let me give you a better way. In verses 17 through 21, later down in that passage, this is what he says, but select capable men from all the people. Men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. He says, Moses, you just need to create some small groups. Get some small group leaders, 
And Moses, that's how you can care for your people, and that's how you can handle the problems. They can deal, they can shepherd your people with you. I'm not a shepherd. But even not being a shepherd, it makes sense to me to, to think that the more shepherds you have, the healthier the flock will be. Amen? It's common sense, right? And so when we talk about small group ministries at Spotswood, you know how we minister to our people? Through our connect groups. That's how we care for our people. That's how we uh, meet needs for our people is through our connect groups. Moses learned that. Moses learned that the way you minister to people, minister more effectively, is through the creation of small groups. And that's what he did. It's through small groups that you're able to grow in, as a church because you have more shepherds to care for the flock. That's one of the biggest growth barriers in churches is one man's trying to do it all. Until you create a small group ministry, you're not going to grow. Thankfully, you've got a, a good small group ministry here. That's where you experience biblical community. And by the way, do you know what biblical community is? Sometimes people ask us, what do you mean by biblical community? I'll take them to Acts chapter 2. If you're at Acts chapter 2 and watched and read there how the early church related to one another, it's really interesting. They loved each other. They cared for each other. If somebody needed something, others who had it would give it to them. They would meet in homes. They would meet in small groups. And they, 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 they just cared for each other. They, they had a true, true community. Behaviors are mentioned there's in, in uh, the Bible. It talks about 59 one another's. There's 59 uh, statements in the Bible of things we're supposed to do to somebody else. It, it, that's an outflow of our relationship with Jesus Christ. The 59 one another's, almost 60. Those statements include love one another, be devoted to one another, instruct one another, serve one another, carry each other's burdens, be kind and compassionate to one another, build each other up, encourage each other, spur one another towards love and good deeds, pray for each other, offer hospitality to one another. 59 one another statements that you and I as believers are commanded to do to each other. Andy Stanley made this statement. He said the primary activity of the church was one another and one another. That's really what church is about by the way, as far as how we should relate to each other. And Andy went on to write this. He said, small groups, uh, when everyone, he says this, when everyone is sitting in rows, you can't do one another's. You can't really do that in these rows, but when you get into a small group and you sit in a circle and you know each other, that's where you get to experience the true one another's of Scripture. And can I just say this? I am so tired of people coming to me saying, you know, Dan, we're going to leave Spotswood. Oh, you're going to leave Spotswood. Man, I'm sorry to hear that. Why are you leaving Spotswood? Well, nobody here encourages me. Nobody, nobody loves me. Nobody spurs me on to spiritual growth. No one's lifting me up. Do you realize a Christian life wasn't meant to be passive? By that, I mean somebody doing the action to you. Read the Bible. The New Testament is pretty clear. The one and others are commands that you and I are supposed to do to somebody else. Do you want to enjoy church more? Get up in the morning, and on your mind, your focus is totally on this. I can't wait to get to church to do to one another somebody. If you're coming here and your goal is to have somebody else one another you, you've totally missed what church is all about. I promise you, if you will get up every morning and think, I'm going to find somebody, somebody at Three Strands Church that I can encourage, somebody at Three Strands Church that I can love on, somebody at Three Strands Church that I can spur on to spiritual growth, 
Somebody at Three Strands Church that I can uplift. Somebody at Three Strands Church I can pray. Just find somebody that you can one another. I promise you, when you leave church, you will leave fulfilled. You'll leave with a sense of joy because you've experienced church. That's what church is all about. It's sad that so many churches are full of people that sit there and passively hope that somebody's going to come encourage them and love on them. That's not what church is about. But you're not going to do it effectively to one another until you're in a connect group or a life group or a connect group at Spotswood, until you're experiencing true biblical community. It's there that you can one another, one another. John Piper, most of you may be familiar with John Piper. He writes this. He starts off by quoting an old hymn that you may have heard, Standing on the Promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail, one of the verses go, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Piper goes on to write, yes, that's absolutely right. But the dreadful fact is that the howling storms sometimes knock us off the promises of God and the pleasures of the world lure us off the promises of God. And the devil himself tempts us off the promises of God. And the anxieties and pressures of life wear us out so that we neglect the promises of God. And this is what he says. God's remedy for this is not isolated heroism, but small groupings of believers caring for each other's souls and pointing each other to God's promises again and again. I'm in a connect group. Every pastor on our staff is in a connect group. Do you know why? Because there are times in my life when the storms of life kind of knock me off the promises of God. There's times when temptation lure me away from the, temp- the, the promises of God. There's things when life just sometimes wears me down where I forget the promises of God. And I need to go to a place, a safe place of people that know me. And where men can sometimes kick me in the pants and say, hey dude, don't forget about the promises of God. Encourage me, challenge me, hold me accountable. We missed our connect group this morning, and and I hate missing my connect group because that's my family. That's the group of people we do life together. That's our young empty nesters group, and that's where we experience biblical community. Do you have that? If you don't, you need to get in a life group because you're missing out. I can't. Everybody comes to church at Spotswood. The first thing I do, and if I don't know who they are, I just walk up to them and say, hey, what's your name? Rebecca. Hey, Rebecca. Have you gotten involved in a connect group yet? No? Well, let me tell you how you can do that. Everybody I meet. Why? Because I want them in a group. Why? Because I want them to experience what we're experiencing. I want them to be in a place where they can want another somebody else, but they also can experience the, the encouragement, the accountability that comes from being in biblical community. Y'all still with me? That's just one part of the biblical argument. There's another one. I have to speed it up a little bit, but there's a book of the Bible called Ezra. Or not Ezra. Book of the Bible called Nehemiah, and it's talking about a guy by the name of Ezra. In Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra got it before all the people of Israel, and he began to preach. Kind of like what I'm doing right now. They built a platform uh, for him. He preached God's word. And when he got done preaching, you'll read about this in Ezra chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. But verse 7, it says there's a bunch of Levites. And it says they took all the people and they got them in small groups when Ezra was done. And the Levites instructed the people. Essentially what happened there, there was a large group gathered under the teach of, uh, teaching of Ezra. And then they had a prototypical small group experience. They broke the people into small groups. And the Levites went out there like small group leaders. And you see, it's, they helped them understand what Ezra was saying. It's one thing to know what the Bible says. It's another thing to know what the Bible means. 
And there's, there's, just, there's just no way you can effectively teach in a group this size. You can teach so much better when you're in a small group, in a circle, and you can struggle with God's word and talk about God's word and figure out how to apply it to Monday morning. So you, you can find that transformational teaching happens in small groups. It's small groups. That's where discipleship happens. You see, true discipleship is relational. It's life on life. If you really want to know God's word, if you really want to grow in knowing God, get into a life group. Because then you're going to be with a group of people in the same stage of life with you and struggling with the same issues you're struggling with. And you can take God's word and you can discuss it and you can figure out how in my stage of life, where I'm at in life, how can I apply this truth to, to my life, to my marriage, to my family? That's just two examples in Scripture where you find small groups being used. But probably the most well-known, it's funny, uh, Drew, Drew's our senior pastor, and he'll always say, you know, if you, if you don't know the answer to the question, if it's a Bible question, say Jesus. And usually you're going to be right, right? When you talk about what, what's the greatest example of a small group experience, it's Jesus. You ever paid attention to how Jesus, what Jesus' ultimate plan was to change the world and to spread his kingdom and to advance his kingdom and to spread the gospel. It wasn't necessarily through, although he did large group teaching and preaching and all the other things, you know how he did it through a group of 12 men, a small group. A small group of believers who got together were taught how to live missionally and, and modeled before them how to live missionally and then commissioned and sent out. Imagine what happened if every life group in this church, that was their primary mission, was to make disciples, to live missionally. We just gather together once a week to encourage one another and to pray and to challenge one another and to learn, but our ultimate goal is to leave that group and to go out and be missionaries where work, live, and play. That's what Jesus did. Small groups. Let me go quickly because we're going to run out of time. Let me give you not just a theological argument. Let me give you an empirical argument. That's a big word. Empirical just means that there's, it's not theory. There's evidence. There's fact to back it up. The empirical argument is based on research done by LifeWay. You may not know who LifeWay is. They're a large publishing arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, and they have a, they have a research part of that, that uh, of LifeWay. And they did some research back in 2011, they created a tool called the Transformational Discipleship Assessment, TDA, Transformational Discipleship Assessment. It was a tool to evaluate how people, be, basically how people become mature disciples and what a mature disciple looks like. And they had done some research back in 2007, 2008, and this research kind of built on that. And so there was a lot of data, a lot of information that they could dig into. And they dug into this data and they determined that a mature disciple has eight attributes, eight things that are true about them. And the eight things that they found were Bible engagement, obeying God, serving God, sharing Christ, exercising faith, seeking God, building relationships, uh, transparency. These eight things would be true about a person who was a mature disciple. And we, we would look at that list and say, I could probably agree with that. That makes sense. Then they dug even further into the data, into the information, and they said, let's dig into this and find out what what." things were these people doing that enabled them to become mature disciples? If mature disciple was the output goal, what were the input goals? What were the things that they did to grow and become mature? They came up with a list of 40 things. If a follower of Christ will do these 40 things, 
that will end up being a mature disciple. If I went to a pastor and said, listen, I've got the secret to making mature disciples. You just got to get your people to do these 40 things. What do you think that pastor is going to say? Are you nuts? I can't get my people to do one thing. What's that, 40 things? So they realized that, and they dug a little bit deeper into data, saying, is the Pareto principle at play here? In other words, the 80-20 principle, are there a few things that have disproportionate effect on people becoming mature disciples? And they were surprised to find out, yes, there were. In fact, they found there were three things. Three things that had an impact on people becoming mature disciples, and the three things were uh, uh, corporate worship, reading God's Word, and being in a small group. Three things. If you can get your people in corporate worship, reading their Bible daily, and in a small group, they will become a mature disciple. Chances are they'll become a mature disciple. I could make the argument today of those three things, small groups is the most important. I could take all that research and find it down to one thing, and I'll prove it to you. Because if you get people in small group, they're probably going to attend corporate worship. If you get people in small group, they're probably, chances are, are greater that they're going to be reading God's Word regularly. One thing. That's Spotswood. That's the one thing we focus on getting people involved in. From the moment they walk in the doors, before they join the church. It's amazing. I'll have a a new member orientation meeting, and I'll ask these new members, how many of you are in a connect group? And invariably, almost every time, almost everybody in the room is in a connect group. Why? Because we talk about it from the pulpit, and we ask, invite them, we encourage them, we challenge them, we push them, get in a connect group. Why? Because it's the most important thing you'll do to grow as a follower of Christ. I want to share with you some research data that I thought was very, very interesting. In fact, it became a book, Transformational Small Groups. Transformational uh, Groups was the name of the book by Ed Stetzer and Eric Geiger. But in that book, they laid this out, the difference between someone being in a group and someone not being in a group. And I think the, re- the research results are up on the screen that you can look at. And again, this is not just me just giving theory to you. This is empirical data. This is proof that people being in a small group are much higher chance of them reading the Bible, studying the Bible, praying, relationships, using spiritual gifts. That's the difference between someone not in a group and someone regularly attending a group. If you want to read your Bible more, pray more, if you want to grow, get in a group. Not just because there's theological, biblical proof for that, the importance of small groups, but also because there's just research that proves what I'm saying is true. In fact, if you go to the next slide, you'll see that it even found it would be true in... uh, Put the next slide up here if you could. The next slide, sharing Christ, inviting people to church, giving, serving, having regular responsibilities to church. Again, these are significant differences between people not in a group and people in a group. The importance of being connected to a group. Daniel M. wrote a great book called No Silver Bullets. It's a great book on discipleship. In that book, he said this, frequently attending a small group discipleship environment is not only the best place to get connected with a church, it's one of the best places to grow as a disciple into the image of Christ. If you have a child and you want your child to really grow, number one, you need to be teaching them. You're the primary discipler. You need to teach them at home. But if you want an added soul, get your child in a life group. Student in a life group. Get yourself in a life group. Let me finish up with this. I gave you a theological argument. I gave you an a, uh, empirical argument. Let me give you an ecclesiological argument. Of course, when we talk about ecclesiology, we're talking about the church. Argument from the, from, from the basis of the church, number one. Just going to give you a few statements. We'll be done. Number one, the church grows larger through the multiplication of small groups. The way a church grows is by getting smaller while it gets bigger. At Spotswood, we're birthing new groups all the time. Why? That's how you grow at Spotswood. 
When I came to Spotswood, we had 50 groups. Now we had 150 groups. It's just, it's just crazy. We just keep birthing groups, finding leaders to lead those groups, and we keep growing them. There's data and research about that as well. I wish I had time to talk about it. There's a landmark study called the, called the Natural Church Development Study. Over 1,000 churches were interviewed, and they found as a result of, that, of those interviews and that research that the primary reason churches were growing was through groups, through cell division, small groups multiplying. Number two, churches not, don't just grow larger, they grow deeper. They grow deeper through the multiplication of small groups. Don't miss this statement because this is so important. Small groups are the best way to decentralize the discipleship process in your church. This church has grown. like It's crazy how much it's grown in the last year. Once your church reaches a certain size, Pastor Dave, he can't disciple that many people. So what do you do? You find more Dave's find more Stephanie's, you find more people to be disciplers, and you put them in charge of small groups, and you decentralize the discipleship strategy. You have other men and women who are teaching preschoolers and children what to disciple them. That's how you disciple your church. Ed Stetzer wrote this, God didn't design the church to have one person lead everyone else in spiritual formation, far too often the model of the evangelical church. Throughout the New Testament, we see leadership development and delegation or mass participation of discipling others. God did not plan for one person to disciple an entire church. He didn't design us to grow through, grow via mass discipleship. That's how we grow, not just in numbers, but also grow deeper and grow spiritually through small groups. And let me give you one more, and I'll be done. The church grows stronger through the multiplication of small groups. The church is healthier. I told you, the more shepherds you have, it makes sense. The more shepherds you have, the healthier the flock will be. More small groups. You see, there's three things that are necessary for you and I to grow spiritually. We need accountability. Do you have accountability in your life? If you're a man, do you have other men holding you accountable? If you're a lady, other women holding you accountable? We need accountability. Listen, you can't find this in a crowd. You find that in biblical community. You find that in a small group. We need authenticity. We need people we can be real with. You can't do that in a crowd. Last of all, assimilation. How do you become part of the body? You can't develop that in a crowd. You do that in a small group. <laughs> Your church has just started, right? I mean, it's not that old, and it's starting to grow, and you're starting to add things. Let me show you a picture of what most churches look like when it comes to ministries. Most churches, when they look at their ministries, they got this ministry, this ministry, this ministry, that ministry, this ministry, that ministry. Man, it can get so crazy and confusing. Here's what we do at Spotswood. At Spotswood, it's pretty simple. They come to a worship service, we get them in a small group. Get them in a small group. Why? Because I get them in a small group, then they're going to learn how to serve. I get them in a small group, then they're going to learn to live missionally. Get in a small group. Hey, it's been a crazy season. It's not over yet. Some of you need to hit the reset button. You really do. Individually in your life, you know you do. There's a lot of junk up there, a lot of chaos in your life. You shouldn't get alone with God and say, Lord, I've, got, I've kind of lost sight of why you put me on this earth. It's really about being on mission for you. It's really about making disciples. It's funny, when you reset your phone, it's a whole lot easier to use your phone, right? Because you don't have all those apps and stuff you put on there. It's, a lot back to, it's back to its factory settings. It's back to what's essential. Let's get back to what's essential. Let's get back to making disciples. All the other stuff, all that social, political stuff, nah, let's just focus on one thing. Some of you in your marriage, you need to, you need to hit the reset button. As a husband and a wife, 
You alone's God. And say, you know what? There's so much stuff in our life. We need to just jettison all this stuff and get back to why God brought us together. He brought us together so we could model the love of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ that's found in the gospel. So that our neighbors can watch us live that out and say, I need what you guys have. Some of your families, you're running all over the place. There's so much craziness, chaos. Hit the reset button. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his kingdom. It's all about making disciples. If we could just do that, all this other stuff takes care of itself. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the reminder this morning what's most important. Ultimately, it's about your kingdom. It's about being a disciple maker. And Lord, the best way to do that is through small groups. Lord, if there's somebody here today that's not in a small group, Lord, I pray before they leave, they find out how they could be in a life group. How, they're, how they can get plugged into biblical community. Lord, there's some people in here that could probably step up and lead a group because as the church grows, we're going to need more groups. We're going to need more leaders. Lord, there's some people in here who can love on others. That's all you need to do. Just be able to love on people. Just be able to shepherd some other people, care for some people, help them on their journey. They, they, could, be a, they could be a connect group leader for children or preschoolers or students or adults. I pray they'll step out and say, I'll do that. <laughs> what, what a better way to serve God than to be a connect group leader because every time you meet, you're at the intersection of God's word and lives and man, crazy stuff happens there. Beautiful things happen there. When God's word is applied to marriages and families and lives. Lord, help us hit the reset button this morning. Work in our hearts through your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name.